So in the ongoing practice, we having through one's meditation practice, begin to understand the characteristics, the signs, the characteristics of human experience, the joys of it and the aspirations of it, the confusions, turbulence, past karma, the reactivity we have, our reactions, our tender spots where we get jumpy and agitated, places of conviction, we get a bit solid or rigid around, uh, places of doubt, you know, feelings about ourselves. <laughs> and others <laughs> what we should and what we ought and what we never did and so you kind of get a real sense of some of the landscape that we travel through even we're just sitting still you know in a fairly fairly quiet situation just this is the this is the landscape human domain not a devaloka um heavenly realm but a human domain its turbulences and then their responsibility to <coughs> acknowledge this receive this as it is practice with this rather than react or get irritated disappointed Despair, just uh, like this, isn't it? <clears throat> Human realms like this. You know, so in the retreat, the human realm is uh, things like, you know, the person who insists upon breathing heavy next to you, sitting next to you. <laughs> or, the or the person who always comes in ten minutes late, you know, you know. So that feeling of uh, how could they be so, mm. you know, the person who insists on doing a particular thing in the kitchen their way, even though everybody else wants it another way, you know, or, you know, these kinds of things. These are pretty uh, standard experiences for us. person with a squeaky jacket or the Velcro, ripping their Velcro. <laughs> You're trying to be quiet. <laughs> it's like this. And it should be peaceful and quiet and all routines and nicely ordered and structured. Why does he have to do it that way? Why doesn't he ever turn up? And why is he always late? And why, you know, this kind of thing can go on. So we think, well, actually. You know, groups and communities are a waste of time. Better sit on my own somewhere. <laughs> Just, <laughs> which is fine as long as you're, you know, okay on your own. But then you sort of realise you do need food, <laughs> and you do get sick. And uh, you know, why should anybody support you? <laughs> you're not contributing and putting something back in. So that sense that we are in this together you know. <clears throat> including you know noisy people who turn up on the weekends offering dana thank goodness you know they're offering dana we get annoyed with them being 
you know, having rustly paper, uh, plastic bags, disturbing my meditation. <laughs> they rustle their very plastic bags and chatter. You know, so it's like this, isn't it? Seeing how one's mind can get pretty spiky and uh, irritable. Oh, I shouldn't be like that, should I? I should be, you know, all embracing loving kindness. But there I was trying to, you know, work on a particular aspect of my body and this person came in. So what am I supposed to do? It's like this, isn't it? Human realm is things turning up late. Human realm is your computer crashing and losing a month's work. Human realm is, you know, like this. It's also a place of uh, generosity, joy, virtue, patience, wonderful qualities. So it's all mingled up, mixed up, same as we have these mixtures, mixed karma. We have to, but you can't just actually only notice the, the good. You've got to at least recognize the things that we find displeasing or disappointing. <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with the situation or yourself or the place because this is totally traditional. You look in the... Uh, you, know, you look in the Sutta Pitika, you see all these lovely, inspiring stories of the great disciples realizing truth. And you realize, look in the Vinaya, there are a lot of disappointing stories of people <laughs> swindling and cheating, manipulating. And <laughs> you know, and the Buddha going, misguided man, have I not told you? This going forth is not for sense pleasure, but for liberation. Have I not told you, misguided man? You know anything? Buddha have to listen to this idiot kind of pinching some Brahmin wife's buttocks or something. (laughs) 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 Yeah, really, some real schoolboy stuff. Some of it, you know. And you think, oh goodness me, this is right, right there in the the Buddha time when the Buddha was around. He hasn't got any. (laughs) <laughs> it's the same, <laughs> you know. I mean, the details change, but even in a kind of Buddhist world, there's a lot of shenanigans going on. <coughs> you know, this uh, monk, you know, the monk of Bungwai, not not in the forest monastery, the town, the village monastery. He was uh, all the leftover rice from the arms round. He was um, distilling liquor out of it and selling it back. <laughs> the villages, which is a little bit uh, <laughs> against against the vineyard, <laughs> and yet uh, you know he probably had kinds of you know he was gone forth for something. So the people had some aspirations or virtues. One of the strictest. Uh, uh, Monks in the Ajahn, Ajahn Chah, very strict monk. He ended up killing, killing this woman he was having sex with, and he'd been, uh, you know, he was one of these kind of real socket to him, fire and brimstone types. You know, 
Ajahn Chah, why did Ajahn Chah sort him out? You know, so it's like that the worm in the apple. And uh, <coughs> you hear these terrible things. And you look in any news, newspapers are like 85% bad news. That's what you get, isn't it? Occasional football results pick you up, or <laughs> mostly it's bombing, outrage, famines, floods, tsunamis, disasters, corruption, sleaze, this sort of thing. But there's also the beautiful and the good and the lovely that doesn't make it into the news. But to just to realize, you know, we're in this very mingled situation where these uh, forces of passion and confusion take over. And also that, you know, systems really don't exactly work. You know, they approximately work. And in meditation systems, a bit like um, like a railway system. You know, sometimes a train comes in on time, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. So we can find a meditation system that everybody else seems to be getting off on doesn't work for me. You know, so it's like this. <coughs> Frustration. Or you've got a sniffle. You can't do most of the breathing because you've got a sniffle or a cold. So being with that part of it, isn't it? Hmm? Being with the community, with, the, with all its oddnesses and strange things, oddballs, remembering the... We had a, <laughs> the Anagarikas selling a, trying to sell a second-hand car on, on a meditation retreat. I think he managed to sell this car a second-hand car, which was pretty good because it was supposed to be noble silence. And uh, <laughs> so, you gentlemen have got a ways to go yet. Huh? So, the, uh, and then you know, retreats. Kind of when we had the uh, uh, the Amravati retreats, we used to sit in the Whenever Roddy was quite young, then we used to sit in what's now the sala, because that was the only building that had warmth in it. But the sala butts onto the kitchen, so you're sitting there, you'd always hear the sound of the bash, 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 people, you know, chopping up things, or the washing up, or the spin dryer. Somebody felt they needed to spin dry their clothes in the, you know, so you'd be sitting there and it's going, woong, 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 whack, 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 because the spin dryer wasn't properly bolted to the floor, so it would kind of teeter around so you're sitting there and you're sitting there trying to meditate and you're clack 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 and then suddenly chopping up vegetables you know and uh, so eventually we moved over to the what's now the retreat center shrine room which is a fairly long rectangular building and during the winter time then we had this thing with the windows whereby some people liked the windows closed because it was warmer. But then some people liked it just a little bit of air because it was fresher. So you'd hear this sitting there and you hear this kind of clunk, clunk, 
somebody opened the window. And then a few minutes later, rook, rook, bang, somebody closed the window. <laughs> a little bit later, rook, rook, clunk, somebody opens the window. <laughs> and then, bang, somebody closes the window. <laughs> you know, like drafts, so you're going off for an hour sitting of that. Or the, you know. <laughs> so you had to have a, a window officer who's a, was the only person allowed to touch windows and he would open the windows at prescribed times during the walking and window opening was never, you know, you weren't allowed to touch a window. <laughs> Try to hold it down. But then it moved on to something else, the kind of shoe, shoe scenario whereby you have these places to put your shoes but people leave their shoes in the corridor so people are getting annoyed because they have to stumble over heaps of shoes. Or whatever, or people like to flush the toilet at 2 a.m. And so you're sitting in the next room and it's boom, wakes you up. Or want to practice chanting. <coughs> well, there was one uh, of these, uh, these silent retreats, because uh, some of the buildings are very thin walls. They're old um, army huts, quite thin walls. And then there's a couple of and one of these silent retreats, a couple of guys having this very heated argument about which was more compassionate, Theravada or, or Tibetan. <laughs> and they're arguing about compassion. A guy in the room next door is hammering on the wall. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, so it's like this, isn't it? You know, what it's like just kind of Meditation is one thing, but, you know, the human realm, how do we get so irritated and disappointed by it all? And you try and find some way you iron out all these little wrinkles and finally screen off all the disturbances and the get rid of all the irregular people, just only have totally clear, crisp, uniform people, you know, <laughs> sealed units. I don't think that's possible, and, um, you know, who wants to do it? Does it go around screening everybody? <coughs> Policing everyone. So something is just about embracing it all, not because we really enjoy it, but just because we want to stop this kind of sour, prickly, agitated sense in the mind. You know, it's kind of opening up. Almost when you come to a, a monastery or a retreat or a community, you know, you want to set your your mind to this is the place to get your buttons pushed. <laughs> Somewhere or another, there's something looking where your button is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there will be someone there who's been specially sent there to annoy you. <laughs> Some piece of the of the routine that really, you know, find. Pointless, futile, why bother with this? Something like that. 
It'll get you that thing going in the mind. Well, I don't see the point of this. Going in the mind. Yeah. And also the recognition that can come, but probably doesn't come very often, is that you know, each and every one of us could be a source of irritation to the others without even knowing it. You know, I probably annoy people a lot. Don't come here to annoy people. You know, you know ask me. I'm trying the best I can to do what I can. You know, best I can. I probably annoy people, disappoint people, frustrate people. And then, well, okay, but sure, who doesn't? So it's this kind of the that's that's the that's that's the sangsara, that's the pattern, isn't it? Not trying to claim any of us are you know, spotless. But even if we were we probably still, you know, annoy people. Buddha annoyed people. <laughs> Irritated people. <laughs> <You know. clears throat> so something about compassion about that quality of heart where you, okay, you know, take it on, take it on. Trying to defend oneself, but just take it from samsara, just take it on. Not to encourage disruptive or, you know, illicit or erroneous behavior but just realize we're all we're all going to be somehow not quite matching you know aspirations expectations our own and what other people may make of us can can we if we recognize that each and every one of us are probably letting somebody down or you know sometime or another well okay i'll i'll accept that and I'll, then when you let me down I won't make a thing out of it I'll say okay well yeah I've probably done that something like that without intending it or sometimes with intending it <laughs> you know sometimes knowing you're doing it but uh, sometimes you don't know so that sense of you know receiving the human condition <clears throat> Uh, it's something like compassion, but uh, very. Some of you feel that kind of prickling or sinking of feeling disappointed. Or you've done so much and yet this goes wrong, or you know you meant so well and then somebody blames you, or whatever it is. Okay, you know that sinking down, or the prickling, defending, or the flaring up. Those senses that rush through the ner- through the nervous system to the mind. Mm. That's right. Where the you know the sankara, the mental activity, start working on that, and that can really become almost like the total experience of the, of the situation. It's just that, those places where the rest of it almost disappears because we get so drawn in. The mind takes that as its, as its um, theme. You know? 
like what what we find ourselves continually caught by or thinking about or pondering on or you know associating with that becomes the dominant tendency the dominant um, inclination of the mind it forms it so we notice things that line up with that so you know once that thing is taken over then it's become established we start to establish people either ourselves or other people he's such a you know conceited so and so or she's so lazy or he's so careless or he thinks he knows it all you know there's a oof. you've got one of those in your heart and mind it's pretty ugly feeling so I we want to not to discount the irritation or the disappointment but you don't want to create let that take over because it creates this thing that's stuck in you like you're carrying it around inside a person it's like being pregnant with it <clears throat> So you try to, and you realize, well, you know, I really have to meet that experience because otherwise it's going to, this is what's going to happen to it. And it does, you know, you know, people who carry these people around in their minds for decades. <coughs> wounded feelings and, uh, you know, so we don't want to have that so sense of, you know, it's not forgiveness, but forgiveness begins with the finding those places, those nerve endings, those buttons, and just widening, widening your attention around it, relaxing, softening, accepting, you know, so at least you're not reacting. Then you can look into it. Is this really the case, or is there something to be said or done here? Uh, you know, so once you've begun to disengage from that reaction to that, then you can make some clear assessment whether it's something that needs to be said or done, or whether you, you know, or whatever seems appropriate. Why, of course, this uh, dhamma training, dhamma vinya, just—it's a lot more than just uh, doing a meditation retreat, focusing on an object. <clears throat> Though these are essential, uh, I feel they're essential anyway. Practices to be able to establish that sense of centeredness, where you can really start to know what your intention is, apply yourself, um, focus, restrain, encourage the mind, you know, building up a healthy center. The drawback, there are two particular uh, obvious drawbacks to that. One is we tend to feel that 
everything outside of that is either a waste of time or beneath me or, you know, irritating. And, yeah, you know, there's some degree of truth in that. Things, you know, the world around us is a horrible mess in so many ways. Um, but if you let that take over the mind, where does that lead? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to stay? Who's going to support you? Who's going to be with you? If you've sort of just cut it all off like that. Is there another way to, to respond that, to that? Another way to respond can be another kind of uh, meditation uh, experience is we just find our own sense of centeredness and calm and steadiness and clarity. We think, well, now if we could just organize the world around to be orderly, clear, punctual, then, you know, so we try to arrange the world around us. Again, this is quite a lot of good going for it, a lot of, yeah, it's true, try and create a situation around us just right, you know, where it's well organized and composed and there's training rules and so on. And yeah, that's got some point. So both of these approaches are, you know, certainly things we can find in the Buddha's teaching there. Hmm. More, perhaps more, but the tidying things up approach tends to make, you know, the effect it has on our center is we will keep, we kind of get, want to control everything. Mm. Other people's actions, tidy things up, you know. As you, is that the center, you might say the center of your mind gets occupied by the one who wants to make things, who wants to control things. And then sooner or later you're going to have to do some policing. Yeah, and start chopping off people or things like that. Imagine Charles Simile was of, um, you know, getting the monks to, you know, conform behaviors to say like, well, it's like, you know, the group of people, you line them up, they're not the same height. So you, some of them you cut their legs off to make them, so they're all nice and tidy, <laughs> or the same height. Or some you might stretch some to make them a bit taller. But actually, you know, or you just accept. It's, you know, some are six foot, some are five foot, whatever, you know. It's rather like like uh, how when the, the tidying up uh, thing takes over the mind, we kind of want to do that, you know. Don't come in here with your with your feet. Don't walk on my floor with your feet. Well, how is you going to walk on the floor? <laughs> you know, your feet will mess up my floor. Um, your untidiness will mess up my space. I don't like the color-coded lay people should all wear this color, or the monks like this, you know. So it can get very precise and quite quite uh, beautiful in many some ways when you do it, but there's something, oof, you know, some of the tidiest people were Nazis, <laughs> very tidy, 
nice uniforms, <laughs> you know. But they had a certain thing about Jewish people <laughs> who weren't quite clean enough, you know. So it goes into that. You know, and that's obviously an extreme example. But you get quite a lot of these um, groups and communities where they're all nice, crisp uniforms, uh, bright, shiny faces. It looks great, you know. Everybody's standing in step, walking in step. And then all the untidy, scruffy, limping weirdos are sort of <laughs> shoved out of the way. I like to sometimes think that monasteries are for all the unkempt, scruffy, limping weirdos together. <laughs> you know, the people who don't quite fit <laughs> and do the best they can. You know, not you're trying to, trying to emphasize that, but also, well, okay, you know, what's really humane, what's, what's grand, what's compassionate. Also, what's liberating? You know, do I want to be making sure everybody turns up to this, does this on time, never does that, always does this? You know, I spend my life doing that. You know, tied, tidying everybody up according to my sense of what's neat and orderly. You know, what does it do to me? So this, what is the centre of the mind? You say, what's the central intention, central axis? Now, you could say to a certain extent, yes, sense restraint is important, not rushing out into the world, not getting caught up with it. Yes, that's important. When is, but then, without getting caught up with it, can we just notice it? Yeah. And certainly a sense of clarity and ordering is very helpful and important. You know, keep rooms room tidy and so forth. And then when you notice it's not that way, what do you do then? You know, how, how wide does one's domain get? How big is the space that I'm going to order, tidy up? So another intention which doesn't repudiate those, is you, know, you take responsibility for what you can, you know, your own mind, intentions, activities, and you start to widen. And instead of feeling agitated by all that, you bring forth a quality of just calming, steadying, accepting, compassionate to what's in the field of attention. Mm-hmm. Rather than the that recoiling or dismissing of it, so in that uh, reading the other day, you know, this dumber is for one who does not favour or oppose. Small comment, isn't it? Interesting little phrase. One doesn't favour or oppose. Just because things are happening in a certain way doesn't mean I particularly favour them. But then realising, favouring, opposing, either those are going to suffer. There's going to be stress and suffering. and Favouring, opposing. So without favouring or opposing, 
still acknowledging, noticing like this. Can we remain calm with that? What does it take? Understanding, tolerance, uh, also just this very pragmatic um, recognition of the stress in one's own mind and releasing that. So that rather than uh, changing the world around, we start to change our mind. Similar to that parable of the person who, you know, you want to walk around on the planet with your feet uh, not being soiled. Do you cover the planet with leather or do you just put a pair of shoes on? So you put the, you know, wear... It's your own own the mind that you walk around, that's what you change. Which means we don't really hold this world. When we start to feel we own it or hold it or should hold it or control it or you know, then there's the getting caught in it. When we feel we want to get away from it, ignore it, dismiss it, then there's another kind of holding. These are the pro and con, the baba vibhava currents, without favoring or opposing. Mm-hmm. Or re- perhaps recognizing that the, those mental activities are favoring and opposing and relaxing them. So it becomes more equanimous, dispassionate. Imagine Sumato, and he was very always had a great deal of uh, of inspiration and conviction in in uh, monastic life, taking bhikkhu training. He was very felt this is such a wonderful thing. He was always very uh, eager that people take the training, and he, that he got over that after about a decade, <laughs> because of course people most people leave, and he'd. I noticed that originally he'd get quite dis- disappointed, even angry, you know, about people leaving. How could you, do, you know, what's the matter with you? Don't you get it? This is the best thing, this is the best way to practice. Everything's laid on. What's the matter with you? You know, why don't you get it? Somebody wants to go off and, you know, do something else or convert to another religion or generally run away with somebody. So you get disappointed, or they have views, strong views about this isn't, you know, Theravada Buddhism is not where it's at, and you really need this kind of thing. Whatever it was, that's there, and he'd find himself feeling either disappointed and saddened, and particularly people who disrobe after 20 years, you get really quite distressed by that. You're thinking, after 20 years, surely, you know, you should have um, really be reaping the fruits of it. Um, you can see something and he wants to, I don't know about him, I can't speak for him, but certainly something in 
myself would like to feel a sense of conviction because everybody with you is staying there long term, solid, we're walking the path together, it's my mates, my buddies, shoulder to shoulder, walking along, you know, this is the true way. And then you look around and your buddies just kind of run off with somebody. (laughs) The buddies say it's all a waste of time, the other one's kind of converted to Sufism or something. (laughs) You think, oh, that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? Where was the nice sense of, you know, marching on, repelling Mara onto the doors of the deathless kind of thing? The Sangha forging its way, establishing the Dhamma in the West, all these lovely kind of feelings you can get from that, and then watching it all kind of fall apart and agonize and argue with itself. <laughs> as part of it. But then I remember him saying, after about the 80th person, this road he'd ordained. <laughs> he was ordained over 100, 150 or so people, and at least 80 of them left. And you're going, well, I think people are just working out their karma. <laughs> you know, if you become a monk for three years, that's good. That's maybe that was what was right for you. And I think, well, I think you got it, you know. Um, who knows? Who knows? You know? Who knows? The only way or the right way or the best way? Who knows? It's not up for us, to, anybody, to say, is it? Because we're really not here to, you know, develop the Sangha in the West. I mean, if that's what happens, wonderful, or so be it. Conditions will support that. Conditions and circumstances will support that. But we do have the opportunity when there are people who are willing to provide us with the requisites and we have a decent enough place to shelter. We have an opportunity to work on our own freedom, liberation, you know. As long as life or health or conviction lasts, then we can do that. And who knows where it's going to go. Actually, this is a this sort of sobering is is not. It can feel a bit depressing. This actually makes it very uh, it matures. It's maturing because it's very. You get to a place where you you know you can't. You've got nothing to lose. You know. I mean, everybody I was ordained with disrobed. Teacher ended up killing himself. So, you know, it was a good introduction to Dharma practice. <laughs> and if it's all on the rapturous and the upside of things, then um, that's wonderful, but if you just rely on that, it isn't going to last. Reading a letter from someone today who had a rapturous experience and when they're in the church, they decided this was a sign from the divine, so he decided to convert to Christianity on, the, on this experience of rapture. Well, you can experience of rapture where you think you're enlightened or stream enter or something or the other. Maybe so. But rapture isn't something you want to buy into. You know, it's something to notice and make use of. 
It's a conditioned factor you can make use of to refresh the body, to brighten the mind, to clear the hindrances, but you don't want to hang on to it. You know, you're favoring something. You have you know, one rapturous meditation and you have five years of wondering where did it go and how can I get it back again? <laughs> you know, because the conditions don't come, maybe not come together again. So, you know, it's not a firm foundation. A firm foundation is this developed understanding, dispassion, release, relinquishment. Relinquishment of holding oneself or the world. Relinquishment of fighting oneself or the world, favoring or opposing. Then on the everyday level, you just make reasonable commitments. These are always... You know, I think again, very pragmatic. It's not saying this is the only way for me for the rest of my life, undying faith in the Buddha, but well, for three months I can probably bear with this, or for a year I give it a go, or for three years you make a kind of reasonable commitment. To, cause you, that's, that's the way you do it. Seems to me. That's, the, that's the way we recommend you do it. And see how it goes. Because it's just this, uh, this opportunity, the generosity of the practice. So despite all the things that can seem to be you know, disappointing or not going one's way or whatever, when you realize you know, that, that this Dhamma and this sitch scenario has accepted each of us, you know, And we didn't come in as arahants. Yeah. And, you know, our parents accepted us, and we were definitely not arahants. And, you know, this, this is like a, something that accepts people who are not arahants, not enlightened with defilements. So that's, that's very generous to me. Can we also mirror and bring up that generosity of spirit? How do we express our gratitude? Sometimes you get this sense of incredible gratitude for the training, for the situation, for the support. How do you express it? Well, it's great, you know, to feel happy and you know, bring some flowers or whatever. It's lovely. But in a way, the deeper way of expressing it is just being more generous in spirit to all those things that annoy you. Because <laughs> that actually has a, a, a long-lasting effect. A wave of happiness is very nice, but it comes and goes. A long-lasting effect, and you pay that back. You pay that back as a sense of responsibility. I now, well, because of my what's been offered to me, I will now accept the uncomfortable, the disappointing you know, whatever of the world around me, because it accepted me. And that's what, that's my, that's what I, that's what I pay. That's my, that's what I put into the pot. That's what I 
put in the back there. You know, then that then that field of generosity of spirit is a vast field of merit. So this is our last day of the retreat together, and um, yeah, I've only found it very, you know, even on a conventional level, very, uh, uh, very good. Nobody's tried to sell me a second-hand car. <laughs> huh? I'm appreciative of the, the, the situation. I wish to express my, my gratitude. <laughs>